Welcome back to Miss Radio. This is Gabe. Recently, I sat down with Hans Usla, the city manager for the city of Monterey. We talked about the challenges confronted here on the peninsula regarding the affordability of housing, the homeless population, and the prospects of building a shelter. We talked about the water supply and just how critical that is to expanding the housing supply and creating a sustainable future for cities here on the Monterey Peninsula. We also talked about climate change and the efforts being undertaken right here in Monterey to prepare, whether it's beach nourishment or building dikes potentially. Hans is looking all over the world for solutions. Of course, he's European, he's German, and so he's seen policies succeed and fail over closer to his homeland. But now Monterey is his home, and he is dedicated to serving it. I think you'll enjoy this interview with him. I think you'll enjoy his transparency and his sense of humor and also his pragmatic approach to policymaking. So without any further ado, here's Hans Uslar, city manager for the city of Monterey. You came to Monterey in the early 90s, right? The first time I was a graduate student and I came to the Naval Postgraduate School in 1990. So I came the first time to Monterey in March 90. And you stuck around. What kept you here? Kind of stuck around. I went back in 92 to Germany and then uh, after I left um, my job in Germany, I worked in the German Navy in December 96, I came back to Monterey. And just because it's um, it's a beautiful area to live yeah. in, and my wife is also from Pacific Grove, so that helped. And uh, I started working for the city of Monterey in May '97. Well, we're glad to have you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about your experience. Mm -hmm. You were a commanding officer on a ship. Yes, I was. Or a boat. Yeah. yeah. What's the difference? Well, first of all, th there's uh, for for the outsider, it it, it floats and it swims, so it's mm. a ship or a boat. You can call it either way. It uh, in the German Navy, a boat is defined whether you have a first officer of the watch or you have an executive officer. Hmm. So the the ship class that have first officers of the watch are called boats. So they're usually a little smaller, and the uh, frigates and destroyers they basically have uh, executive officers, and they are called ships. Therefore, so you were commanding officer yeah. of a, a boat. A boat yeah. in this case. Yeah. So how many people on a daily basis were under your charge? We had we had forty people on the on the boat and. Uh, our boat was a little special. Our ship had basically uh, was a one watch system. So we uh, we went on duty. We sailed the ship until we either fell asleep <laughs> or uh, we went alongside. Um, uh, uh, you can call it a mothership or a supply ship, and had rest periods. But usually we stayed on on duty for about thirty to forty hours uh, straight. Uh, we had mainly only one. Um, crew member for each job, so we couldn't relieve each other. What are the parallels between that and now managing a city? Um, what do you carry over from that experience? What did you put on your resume that got you the job? Well, what got me the job was something completely different, not, not, not my uh, experience as a uh, commanding officer, but what got me the job was that I worked actually uh, as a pilot uh, as a program officer in a 
in a, on an army base. Uh, I was commander at that time, and uh, we were trained by um, Arthur Anderson, which was a uh, large-scale, internationally operating uh, management company, something like KPMG or, or, or on that scale. KPMG? And KPMG is, is also a large-scale uh, management consulting I firm see. operating worldwide. And Arthur Anderson uh, was training 20 officers in activity-based cost accounting systems. And we basically went were tasked to go out to different um, groups in the German uh, armed services and uh, streamlined their operation. We were basically cost cutter. So we went out and uh, did some process mapping and uh, analyzed their operations, found uh, potential cost savings and identified those and implemented those. And so I w my job was um, as a Navy officer to go into the largest single largest army garrison mm -hmm. and so that was quite interesting to be a navy officer on an army base and uh, my job was basically to review their uh, public works operation and uh, i think that part of my resume echoed with uh, the hiring manager here because the public works director looked for someone public works director of the city of monterey looked for someone who could come in uh, identify the processes, cost-saving measures, plus also set up a contract with the Presidio of the hmm. Presidio of Monterey for base operation services. So that helped me to start here. I saw somewhere you were part of the. You were essentially an architect of the Monterey model, which, to my understanding, I was which part of the architectural team. Yes. Yes. To my understanding, it seems like it's a partnership with military bases. Yes. to benefit the community. Yes. Can you explain that concept a little yeah, bit more? It's, 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 uh, it's a really um, intuitive concept. Um, number one is, is basically it goes back to the principles of uh, let the folks do what they can do best. You know, the city of Monterey cannot train linguists. We are not good in teaching languages, but we are pretty good in fixing potholes, sweeping mm -hmm. streets, uh, maintaining buildings. And so the the idea, the founding idea was basically let the army do what they can do best, which is basically training linguists at the Presidio of Monterey in all different languages and allow the city of Monterey to take over the maintenance of the military base. Um, immediate cost savings you have is uh, sharing equipment. You know, you don't need two street sweepers operating in on mm. the Presidio and on the in the city, you have uh, capacities that uh, you can fill now with additional work. Or if you order, uh, if we do a street resurfacing project uh, and we are resurfacing two million square feet, and the army throws in another seven hundred fifty thousand square feet, guess what? The unit price comes down, so right. we can negotiate better contracts. So, so the 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 founding idea be behind this partnership was basically. Um, can we partner and by doing that uh, can we bring down the operational costs on both sides of the fence and the, the Monterey model as it's known now um, basically uh, implemented that starting in 1998 and uh, we went through several iterations of those contractual relationships and right now we are operating under a, a term that is called Intergovernmental Support Agreement, ICSA. 
which has been now copied in the past four years across uh, the continental United States and there are probably 80 to 90 different partnerships now and the one in Monterey is still the single largest one. Wow. This idea of letting people do what they do best, maximize, maximize efficiency yeah. in public works and in, I guess you wouldn't call the military installation DLI. It's not exactly a private institution, but yes. there's this concept of public-private partnership. Yeah. yeah. What are what are you working on in the city today, in terms of public-private partnerships? Yeah. So so the the partnership with with the army is is called a public-public partnership, right. a P three. Um, you you can have public-private partnerships as well, um, and uh, we we have entered numerous public-private partnerships over the years. They have different forms in the city of Monterey. Um, we we have great public-private real estate relationships. The city of Monterey is the single largest property owner in the city of Monterey. Mm. And we have a relationship, for instance, with one of the hotels here, where we basically dedicated land towards an hotel. And uh, they are, uh, in return, uh, sharing with us a certain percentage of the gross profits which uh, are being used to have program income for social services such as homeless or housing programs. So we, we, we provided the land and in return we entered into a very long-term contract with the whoever owns and operates the hotel to share a certain percentage of the gross profits uh, with us and since this funding came from uh, from a certain revenue source, those funds are now dedicated to provide program income for housing programs. Um, so that's that's a private-public partnership, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that way, that has been set up uh, probably 25 years ago and is still operating uh, very successfully. And we have a numer we have numerous of those uh, partnerships in the city. There's a very ambitious new plan from the governor. And he was actually, I just heard him on the radio this morning elaborating a bit on it. And there's a lot of money out there, $250 million that he's putting into cities like Monterey mm -hmm. uh, for administration to help plan for more housing. Yeah. Um, how is Monterey equipped to receive those funds and put them to use? So let me put this into perspective. Please. $250 million distributed over 448 cities uh, in the state of California. Uh, if you do the straightforward math, mm -hmm. it's not even half a million dollars per city. So what is Monterey looking at? So uh, we, we, are, um, we are working on a regional level uh, with respect to homelessness. Uh, uh, homelessness cannot be solved just by one city. So when you look at the funds, that the state is now dedicating to us and, and uh, the $250,000 that, that he's talking about housing is, is, is certainly helpful. Um, you, you need to consider also the specific, specific circumstances you have in the city of Monterey. Right. So Monterey, uh, we cannot do a lot with that money right now because um, first of all we don't have enough land right now vacant that we can fill in or develop. I'm going to ask you about that again and later. Second, we do not have water. Yeah. So the biggest challenge is if you find a space where you can put um, an apartment building, 
uh, that is just the beginning. The second is where do you find the water. And so that's a challenge we have on the Monterey Peninsula. I wish that the state elected officials would recognize to a degree the special circumstances you have in the city of Monterey or the Monterey Peninsula, maybe also in other areas mm -hmm. in our state with respect to, to the water so resources. That, so was, that was something I noticed actually. Yeah. I was looking at the governor's budget yeah. and in the documents that sort of explain the different pieces of it, when they're talking about housing, um, they don't mention water as a factor. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, as you said, elected officials are not quite aware of that being such a critical factor. I want to present you with sort of a hypothetical sure, situation. Sure. Yes. Um, I drive up into sort of North Monterey Seaside all mm -hmm. the time and when you drive on North Fremont, yes. you see what is essentially sort of decrepit old buildings and yes. land that is clearly not being used for anything. It looks yes. like maybe old gas stations, old restaurants. Mm -hmm. Yes. First, um, if somebody planned to use that land for just market rate housing, yeah. if a developer came to you with that, came to the permit department, what, would, what questions would you be asking them? Uh, so, uh, you're asking a very, very good question. Uh, North Fremont is, is a very specific area in our town, um, and uh, there, was, there are several things that, that one might need to know. Number one is um, we developed about four years ago something that we call the North Fremont Specific Plan. And what this North Fremont Specific Plan is, is uh, it defines for the developers uh, what the community would like to see on that corridor. So there are no questions left. Uh, if you want to develop something there, you, uh, you take the North Fremont specific plan and you will see that we don't like the buildings to be set back anymore. Like when you drive up there right now, you will see CVS is uh, yeah. set back in big shape. Big parking lots. Big parking lots. We want the buildings extend directly to the, to the sidewalks. We are encouraging mixed use. We are defining how the buildings should look like. And those, all those standards are in the North Fremont specific plan. And they have been developed over a period of two to four years in joint in dozens of meetings with the community and the businesses and the property owners. So what does this do? This makes it easy for a developer now to take that cookbook and look at, at uh, what they can do, and there are no second guessing. What it also does is it gives planning security for the developers. Here in the state of California, you, you many times have communities who start building buildings through public review processes. So you have a developer come to the, come to the, to the architectural review commission, and the building looks like any other building, but maybe a shade too beige, and may have lights that the people don't like and the whole process can stop there and it can be sent back. When you talk to developers you will hear many times that uh, across uh, the state they have those challenges that the community always asks them to revise the plans. That makes the cost more expensive, that means they have to charge uh, higher rents to recover the cost. So we made it easy. Hmm. Have a North Fremont specific plan, and if you comply with that uh, with that plan, it's principally permitted. No one can tell you no anymore. Second, what uh, North Fremont made special also is that we have many small properties, and we encouraged 
the property owners time and time again, mm -hmm. combine your properties, make them more attractive to develop something on there. Um, it has not happened yet. We there's only so much a city can do. Right. Uh, if the property owner is not willing to do it, it becomes harder. Lastly, uh, and that is very exciting for us, um, uh, we have a brand. We have a location where a developer will come in the next couple of weeks forward to propose uh, a mixed use building with 40 apartments in there, and all the water is on site. And we think this is actually what we call an incubator building, the cat catalyst building that will motivate the others now to put money into their properties because this will be a very attractive building and it will kind of stick out like a sore thumb in the beginning. But now this is the first real building that is built according to the North Fremont specific plan. Okay. We, we envision as uh, urban planning urban planners, we envision a kind of a village core center around <laughs> the CVS area and right now the staging area for the bike project there. And uh, this building I think is, is really interesting and we will see how the community will receive it and how, how they will like it. But um, the governor's policies, for instance, principally permits this building as well because it provides housing and then the last point that I wanted to make uh, in respect to your question is that even if you build a building with market rate housing in there uh, our city's inclusionary housing ordinance requires 20 percent of the apartments to be affordable housing units so that means eight of the 40 will be affordable so um, anything that is being built right now in the state of California needs to have inclusionary housing. Mm -hmm. So that's also one of the, the suggestions or the tactics, the techniques to, to get more um, affordable housing into our cities. So speaking of tactics and techniques, uh, what incentive structures exist in the city of Monterey or perhaps the county uh, to encourage more building of affordable housing. I, I assume there's yeah. a requirement, but what makes a developer get up and make the plan, hire the people to devise it? Yeah, there, there are there are different um, there are different incentives out there. Um, one incentive the city of Monterey has used over the past six years, I would say, is that we are giving the developers water. So the, the city literally just ran out of water as a property owner. We don't have any water to allocate anymore. But we had a water reserve and when uh, we sent out a couple of times requests for proposals and we said here developers come to us, present your project to us and tell us how much water you need to make it happen and we'll give you the water if we have it. So we uh, we just approved uh, a project on Franklin Street, which is opposite of the old Trinity High School site. Mm. Mercedes has, a, has some cars parked there right yeah. now. And uh, that building will have 14 workforce units and receives from us, I think, about a little less than an acre of water. And that makes that project um, then constructible. Without right. that water, he cannot put 14 apartments in there. So, you so said we give we give developers water out of our own 
water inventory. You just kind of put it, you quantified it there. It's about mm -hmm. one acre foot yeah. for that 14 yeah. Yeah. unit development. So I, I did some research last semester about the desalination mm -hmm. plant and the water that it could provide potentially yes. if it were operating around 80 to 100 percent. Mm -hmm. And the cost of that water is astronomical. Yeah. It was somewhere between six and six and seven thousand yeah. dollars or more per acre yeah. foot, yeah. and that's five or six times more than we already mm -hmm. pay. Given that you just ran out of water, uh, effectively, I'm sure that that doesn't sound as bad as it actually is, but it might actually be. Um, I know the Seaside Basin is yeah. low, yeah. and the Carmel River is. Yeah. There's an order to reduce consumption. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the plan to build a desalination plant? Does it seem like a viable sort of source of water, given the cost? It's the only reliable water source, I believe, that we have uh, at our fingertips right now that will provide us with a constant flow of um, desalinated water, uh, or of water. Uh, the water recycling projects that that monterey one water is using right now is uh, highly reliable up to 3500 acre feet of water um, everything else you really need to uh, find ways of having enough rain to recycle the stormwater runoff um, as you see right now uh, we are in the middle of a rain season mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that is, is is pretty good but um the to get to the numbers that 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 you need to have to build additional housing you need a re reliable water source and and that uh, we haven't figured that one out yet we need to reduce the pumping from the Carmel river and uh, we need to uh, intensify the aquifer to to prevent the saltwater intrusion but um, we also need water to feed uh, our hospitality industry, the visitors, to have water for them, to have water for projects. Uh, so the, the, the cap that, that you see right now is, is basically a, a, a no-growth cap. It's a cap that will probably, of all water resources, will probably uh, allow us to live as we live today but any other new developments are not considered yet. So, so when you talk about the Calum des desalination plant and the cost for that, um, having not the right to pump the Carmel River down, that is the next best that, that we can come up with. So in this day and age, we're dealing with a lot of different climate-related issues, mm -hmm. and Monterey is going to be dealing with a whole array of them. You know, yeah. You've got coastal erosion, you've got the droughts which are probably only going to get worse, and storms which might even get more intense. Mm -hmm. I know that California doesn't capture enough of the water that falls on it. Um, what other city-based efforts is the city of Monterey engaged in, in terms of preparing for these inevitabilities? They seem inevitable at this yes. point. So, so uh, the biggest one we are working for the past three, four years now is to prepare the city for sea, sea level rise uh, issues. Um, uh, we, we have a pretty good understanding where the sea level rise will happen, on which side of town. Uh, um, 
FYI, if you want to stay safe, go to Canary Row. Mm. Uh, if you want to get your feet wet, uh, don't walk on Del Monte Avenue in 30 to 40 years. Duly noted. Too. So we are struggling, uh, not struggling, but we are identifying right now with, with uh, top scientists what, is, what are the, the best strategies in um, facing uh, s uh, sea level rise. Uh, should we uh, defend the coastline or should we retreat? Should we use beach nourishments, extension of marina walls, or shall we just give up the land? Hmm. Um, and here comes uh, my uh, upbringing. I grew up on a small island in the North Sea, hmm. and uh, giving up land was uh, counterintuitive for us because that means we would give up our island and so um, I, I am a proponent really on uh, uh, beach nourishment uh, repe repeatedly if it has to be annually but put when you say nourishment you mean adding sand putting the sand yeah. back in there and have the next uh, flood take it out then the next storm and then do it again uh, do it all over we that's that's a very um, highly accepted technique in, in Europe uh, you have a whole country in Europe that is um, has many many um, square miles, thousands of square miles underwater. That's Holland, yeah. and and they know how to dike and and protect their land um, behind dike systems. So uh, we are at a point right now uh, with respect to climate change and future uh, task where we need to look out what are we doing with respect to sea level rise. And the community will, will find what is the right way. Should we right. retreat? Should we give up? But this has infrastructure costs because we have streets running directly in that zone. We have um, sewer piping running there, electrical lines. All this has to be relocated. And so um, this is one of the things our planners are working on right now to, to see how do we uh, address climate change, particularly the sea level rise for the city of Monterey? There are steps being taken that puts my mind at ease. Worry not. S but I'm sure there are some pretty wicked problems out there yes. that don't have any clear evidence yes. solutions. Yeah. Are there any like that? That I mean, obviously housing is one of those. It's the yes. water limit is, yes. is a is hindering that. But How, housing is a, is, a, is a great, great question and is a great um, challenge um, because number one we live uh, in Monterey in a very beautiful place place and unfortunately that place is open to anyone who wants to come and pay for it people like to come to Monterey and live here or retire here or have a second home here um, on the other hand it is also a town uh, that has um, 22,400 people every day commuting into work. So now one can make the argument, you need to find places for them to live because we don't want the greenhouse gas emissions on our roads. We want uh, a low carbon footprint. After what we just talked about, about housing, water, space, not enough vacant land, yeah. where do we put 22,000 people into our area? So the purists of land development, not in the city, but outsiders outside of the city say, up zone, 
put four, five, six, seven, eight story buildings into the neighborhoods. SB50 style. Put it up, yes. Again, we don't have water for that. And second, is that what the community wants? So uh, the question comes down to who knows what is best for the community? Is it someone in Sacramento? Or are, is it a, are, it, are, are the neighbors responsible for defining what they want to see? And then you get into the discussion, well, the neighbors could be not in my backyard fraction, you know, and you want the yes in my backyard. So what I'm saying is this is a, such a complex issue because you, you want to provide affordable housing. You want to have people living in town. I want the Middlebury students, honestly, not to pay eleven hundred fifteen hundred dollars for a room or a studio or a one bedroom Me that, neither. yeah that is ridiculous so how do we how do we break that cycle um, that is one of those things where um, we will continue to work on but where you do not have clear solutions right now out there and by the same token homelessness is, is another one uh, where you where people also are not having a clear vision what to do and where we also struggle to find good solutions. Um, I for one believe we should have rental assistance programs focus on that to prevent people get becoming homeless. Um, once they are in the homelessness um, it's way harder to get them out. So I, I like when we look at the, the state funding and this county just received ten and a half million dollars through the HEAP program um, I like us to still f keep uh, focused also on rental assistance and finding houses. There are people that are called navigators uh, who then are just working uh, for homeless folks, homeless families, and they navigate to find a house, a home somewhere, yeah. help them. Um, I think rental assistance has to be there. It cannot be just that we are providing um, an overnight place for people to, to, to sleep and then go back in the back on the streets again right. the next same day that flows into the discussion of jobs you know we need also jobs in Monterey what type of jobs higher paying jobs um, uh, not just hospitality hospitality is a is a is providing uh, over 6,000 jobs in Monterey just the hospitality industry but many of those are low paying jobs right. so um, we need higher paid jobs. That doesn't mean that hospitality has to increase their wages and their benefits, but what it means also we need other attractive employers in the area. So that's why we need good people like you to well, help us. Just a, one last question here to round it yeah. out. If you were talking to a bunch of MPA students yeah. or policy yeah. development students, they're going to be the people listening to yeah. this, hopefully. What would, you, if you were in their position, what would you be looking at right now? What would you be researching, studying to make a place like Monterey better? Um, the one thing I think that I made a mistake when I was a graduate student, even working here in the city of Monterey, is um, our solutions or the problems we are working on and the potential solutions we are working on need to be relatable to the folks that are living in the city. What do I mean by that? Um, 
when we when we uh, banned plastic bags in Monterey, uh, and that was a long time ago. We were one of the first cities in California to ban plastic bags. I was discussing this with with many people, and uh, what I learned out of those discussions was that not everyone thinks that plastic bags are their concern. They had other concerns that are more important for them. While we were solving plastic bags, they had the concern, how do I get food on the table? And why do I live with my grandparents and my mother and father and my sisters and their husband and kids in a three-bedroom apartment? So as an MPA student, I would say you, and one of the things that, that I try to tell our staff also is we can get easily enthusiastic about certain topics and but we forget that the day-to-day -day demographics that the day-to-day -day challenges that the majority of the residents have is not about reducing having a responsible uh, yeah. menu card described from the, by the aquarium which fish to eat but have something warm to eat. Yeah. And uh, we, we get sometimes sidetracked by doing good policies, that uh, developing good programs that are really, uh, when you take a step back, missing the target on, on many levels. So I, I would always say it's very exciting for me too to, to dive into s topics that are highly interesting. But you've got to remember also, okay, uh, am I really, who am I leaving out? Who am I forgetting? And many of those folks that you do policies for, they really don't care about those policies because they don't have the time to worry about that because their day is filled with getting a broken down car repaired so they can go back to work, making sure that the kids go to school if they go to school and all those other topics. So that's something where I just want to say, do what you got to do, study and, and keep focused on the, pro on, the on, on the projects and, and uh, other term papers you're writing or thesis, but we often forget uh, those people and we need to be responsible for those as well. You got to put yourself in their shoes sometimes yeah. to get that. Yeah, and it's hard. It's very yeah. hard to always think about it. When, when we opened, um, we opened a little library in an area here in Monterey um, that was underserved. We brought the bookmobile there, and uh, it opened up a whole neighborhood. It changed the character of the neighborhood just by bringing, bringing all the books to them and uh, getting kids all of a sudden interested mm -hmm. in reading. Uh, it changed a neighborhood park because now it went away from gang-related graffiti to be a park where they have a little library, little, what what are those called, those satellite libraries, you know, that you have at the... Oh, like the ones people have in front of their bring houses. Bring a book, yeah. take a book, you know. That's wonderful. Uh, we had uh, the bookmobile there, we put meaningful um, stuff into the playground, and all of a sudden it changed. And how did we discover it? We were just discovering that we hadn't discovered them, <laughs> do something for them. And this is a neighborhood where you have people living with eight, nine, ten people in a two-bedroom apartment. Wow. So keep keep those folks in mind. Yeah, you're so opening up their world. Yeah, yeah, to a degree. That's a good note to yeah. end on. All right. Hans Usler. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very Thank much. you.
Thank you once again to Hans for indulging the curiosity of a fourth semester MPA student. I really appreciated his candor, and I hope that you got what I did from that conversation. I learned a ton. Uh, it really drove home the fact that wicked problems like the water supply, housing supply, homelessness, they don't have simple solutions. But with enough thoughtful conversations, you might get somewhere. Anyway, there's going to be a lot more content like this coming at you this semester. We're going to be interviewing people from different organizations that make policy and implement it across the peninsula. So stay tuned and let us know what you want to hear. I'm always available on campus if you see me. Just come up, say something in my face. Send me an email too if you want, gbsanders at miss.edu, or talk to Angela or Emmy. Any of us are willing to hear you out and we want to know your ideas. This is your platform. That's it for now, Miss Radio, signing off.